Let me skip the announcements right now and I'll come back to those when we're done. We are finishing up this week a message that we started last week. We're in a series of messages this summer on manhood, womanhood and marriage and how all that plays out in the world. And uh, last week we spent specific time dealing with what we called a biblically grounded vision for manhood. You know, if we could if we could group together what the Bible says in one sentence about what it is to be a man, what it is to be masculine, what it is, uh, this essence of manhood is. We spent last week looking at a biblical, biblically grounded vision for manhood. Today is part two of that that lesson. We're going to we're going to go to the ladies today. We have a biblically grounded vision for womanhood. If you did not get a bulletin, there's an insert in the bulletin. Walk right back. Don't worry. Nobody's going to be staring at you. Go back or Radley, once you get a couple of you guys go back, grab some of the bulletins there. There's an insert that has this definition in it and you can follow right along with us. If you don't have that, you might be a little bit lost. Uh, you can look on with your neighbor if you don't have one. But here it is, the uh, the biblically grounded vision for womanhood. And that's going to be our focus today. Let me say a few things, much like I did last week before we jumped into the definition. Um, First of all, again, this definition is not a quote plucked from Scripture. Okay, you're not going to find it in any chapter or verse. That's why we say it is a biblically grounded vision, because it is a it is a is a grasp at both Old and New Testament concepts and principles speaking to manhood this week, speaking to womanhood and helps us build this vision. I don't really even call it a definition because I I hate to narrow it that much. We, We just call it a biblically grounded vision. It's going to help us to pull in some of the the foundational things we saw in Genesis chapters one through five. And as we reach forward in the next couple of weeks to go to some of the New Testament passages, we'll see some of these things come together and we'll come up with this vision. Right now, we're sort of in the in the middle of those two areas, New Testament and Old Testament. And we're going to put together this definition. And as we go into the New Testament, you'll see things begin to plug in and fill the gaps from Genesis one through five. So you're not going to find this definition in Scripture, but have no fear. It is it is grounded in all the principles from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, you also need to know, as I said last week, and this should be an encouragement to you, that this is not my definition. This is not my vision. Somebody say amen. Yeah, good. Uh, it is not mine. And that is good news because it comes from a host of men and women, mind you, that are much smarter than I am. At the bottom of your page there of the of the biblical uh, biblically grounded vision for womanhood, you see a, a website uh, that's meant to be a reference for where this definition comes from. It comes from the Biblical Council on Manhood and Womanhood. You can go to their website and find all the information you ever wanted to know about manhood, womanhood, a conservative biblical perspective on all these things we've been talking about this summer. It's it's their definition. All right. Guys like John Piper, Dr. Dobson, Paige Patterson's wife was involved. Uh, a host of men and women, both theologians to homemakers to business people, uh, they pulled this definition together and it's, it's worth our examination because it draws in the principles from Genesis and it draws in the principles that we'll see in the New Testament. And it gives us it gives us something to hold on to. In fact, it gives us something to teach our children as they grow up. Amen. So uh, one further thing. Uh, and I said this, I think, last week in regard to the manhood definition. This is not a solo message. What I mean by that is if today is your first day, uh, there are there are. Many things that we've said to set up what we're saying today. And there are many things that we're going to say to clarify what we're not able to say in our short amount of time today. So this is a series that is very dependent on each other. 
All right. So you could leave here if this is the only message you hear in this whole series and say, that guy's crazy. Uh, what about this? What about that? What about this? I can't believe he didn't deal with this. Uh, believe me, we're going to uh, deal with it or maybe we have dealt with it. OK, so all these messages are online, except for last week. We had some technical difficulty and the manhood definition sermon did not get online. Ladies, if you're if your man wasn't here last week and uh, you want him to hear it, let me know, because I have to re-preach this message so we can put it online. And I don't want to do it to empty chairs. So you just tell me that your man was gone last week and we'll sit him right here and I'll just preach right at him really hard because it'll be my second time. So, all right, here we go. Let me read you the whole definition, just like we did the manhood definition, so that you get the whole thing. You fill in your blanks and then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack not all of them because some of the wording is just like last week. And I'm not going to re-preach what I preached last week. Here it is at the heart of mature femininity. And I put femininity there because it's a hard word to spell and you would have been spent a lot of time doing that at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition. Those are your two first blanks freeing disposition to affirm, receive and nurture, strengthen leadership from worthy men. When you ladies say amen. In ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. One more time. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture, strengthen leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So last week we dealt with this very first phrase. At the heart means to signal that. Uh, we may not be able to, in this definition, communicate everything that the Bible would have us to understand about femininity. And we just admit that right up front. It may be more, as we said last week with manhood, there may be more to a, a biblically grounded vision for womanhood or femininity. There may be. I'm sure there is. We're going to deal with a bunch of it when we go to our New Testament passages. There may be more, but rest assured, there, it is not less than what we're going to say today. Okay, it is not less what we say today when we when we say at the at the heart. That means to signal that we're going to deal with the core of womanhood. We're going to deal with the basis, the foundation, the essence of what Scripture would say about femininity and womanhood. And all that said, we could just say that it's it's not exhaustive. It is at least what we're going to say, though. At the heart of mature femininity, just like last week, we put the word mature in there because there are all different levels of masculinity and femininity. There are all different places where we find ourselves in this journey when it comes to our manhood and our womanhood. Uh, we aren't all mature in our masculinity. Right, guys? We are at different places in that growth process. It is a journey. It is a journey of sanctification, we might say, towards a biblically grounded vision of manhood. So we have to say here that at, at the heart here, we're going to be talking about a mature vision for femininity. OK, it's it's a goal. It's the desired outcome of a walk of maturity in a life with Christ in womanhood. Uh, that means to signal as well that uh, we're not all there. Ladies, you are at different places 
And that's okay. And that's okay. But there is a goal. And we are not elevating, we're not putting out there as the example, a subpar standard of femininity. We have to talk about what the goal is. We have to talk about what mature femininity is. All right. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition. Let's talk about this for a second. Forget the word freeing for a moment. Let's just talk about what it means to have a disposition, because this is crucial to the whole rest of the deal. When we say there is a disposition, what we mean is that there is an attitude more than an action. It means to signal that we are talking about more importantly than an activity. We're talking about an attitude. Have this attitude in you that was also in who? Christ, Paul says. In context, there was an attitude of humility. But the principle holds that when we get the attitude right, the actions will follow. Paul knew that if we had the attitude of humility in Christ, then what he was trying to lead that church towards in being loving towards the community and having a heart for evangelism, having a heart for those who are around you, that will follow if we get if we get the attitude right. All right. So when we talk about a, a, at the heart of mature femininity, there is this disposition. What we mean to say is there's just this there's this bent that should be. A part of mature femininity, there should be this bent towards some things that we'll talk about in just a moment. It also means to signal that in, uh, just like we said in manhood, that there was a sense. Remember that? We said in mature manhood, there is a sense towards some things. Uh, This would be the comparable word there. In manhood, this was a sense. It means that she can be mature in femininity without the opportunity for Acting out the actions that we'll talk about for femininity. If, if the disposition in her is right, then the actions will follow. Um, you remember manhood and womanhood, uh, those, those divinely designed inherent natures that are found deep into our core, they are played out. In our relationship with the opposite sex, but they are not born in our relationship to the opposite sex. They are there at our very core, at our very nature. So we say there is a there is in mature femininity a disposition. It means to means to signal that it goes deeper than just what acts out when you are in a relationship with a male of any of any type, whether it's your husband, your son, a police officer, a doctor, etc., It doesn't just play itself out in activity. There aren't just things to do. There ought to be in mature femininity a disposition, an attitude that sets you up towards the activity. All right. This also intends to leave room for femininity to be wise. And this is important. When we say that there's a disposition, it also leaves room for Woman to be wise. Here's what I mean by that. A mature woman of God, her actions will adjust according to the strength and leadership of the man she is relating to. Okay? A disposition sets her up for success interacting with manhood. 
But it leaves room for her to have wisdom to adjust according to the strength and leadership or according to how mature the man she's relating to is in his manhood or his masculinity. Here's what I mean by that, ladies. um, You can have a freeing disposition towards mature femininity. okay? Even if your husband is a bonehead. And. All indications are that he's not worth following. If his masculinity, if his manhood is lacking, is absent or even worse, let's say it is uh, deeply misguided. You can still carry a disposition towards these things that we're going to unpack within you in your very core. You can carry an attitude a desire towards mature femininity to do the things that we're going to talk about. Your desire, your disposition would be to follow through with the activity we're going to talk about in just a moment. Even if he's a bonehead and he's not giving you, he's not giving you a proper, a proper leadership and strength to follow. The role of manhood, ladies, you need to understand, does not usurp the role of Christ in your life. The role of manhood does not usurp the role of Christ in your life. He is the sovereign in your life. Now, he has delegated some authority. That does not mean in any case that if Christ says this is what's true and the man in your differing relationships Uh, or maybe specifically we could talk about your husband, says this is true. If there's a difference there, Christ in his sovereignty usurps any authority that your husband has. Okay? So if your husband says, "Uh, honey, we need to save a little bit of money uh, this next year, and we're just not going to report any of your side income here, and we're just going to leave that off our tax reports, etc. Mature femininity can carry within it a disposition that longs to follow her husband in truth. But when he goes into error, you can very clearly say, with Christ as my head, I can't follow you there. I can't follow you there. Ladies, if your husband decides that in order to spice up your sex life, he's going to start bringing porn into the house. Can I get personal for a second? To spice things up, you can remain in a disposition of mature femininity. Longing that your husband is going in the right and correct direction. Keeping a a, a correct attitude. And still say, listen, that, that, that doesn't fall in line with what Christ is calling me to. And so when we say that it is, a, it is a disposition, we leave room for femininity to be wise. We're not asking you to just just submit across the board without using without using any wisdom. Incidentally, ladies, uh, if and when you're put in a situation where you have to side with Christ because your husband, perhaps, is siding with error or sin, uh, let me just give you a hard truth right here. That will most likely bring pain into your relationship and your life. That's just a fact. And let me put it in another context so you can understand how this works. If the president of our United States tells me that uh, I can't 
uh, ever preach any messages ever again uh, that would even remotely infer that differing choices in sexuality, like homosexuality, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if I ever say anything, even out of Scripture, that, that even infers that those things are wrong, bad, unhealthy, not good for us. Uh, if he says, I can't do any of that, uh, lest I be arrested and charged with a hate crime, which, by the way, uh, isn't, isn't very far off. If that's what I was told by our commander in chief, um, and I have to make a choice, do I side with in my disposition to submit to the authority God has called me to, i.e. our government, which he has? Can I carry with me a disposition that longs to submit to that authority, but says, you know what, I've got to go with Christ on this one. I've got I've to stick to my biblical guns on this one. I can't, I can't say that. I can't not say some of those things. I can't leave out chunks of Scripture. And so if I, if I have to take that position, if I have to stand with Christ and step outside of the authority of government because they're leading me perhaps into error or sin, Guess what? I, I might just have to go to jail. That's what I mean by, ladies, when I say that if you have to take, if you have to take a stance with Christ while your husband is, is going towards sin, it, it, it might necessarily bring pain into your relationship and into your life. You just have to know that is the case. No wonder, no wonder uh, we, are, we are charged not to be unequally yoked. No wonder Christians aren't supposed to uh, yoke themselves, tie themselves, attach themselves to those with differing world views. Ladies, you tell your daughters and you tell your sons. When you grow up, if you marry as a Christian, someone who has a different worldview, someone who's agnostic or atheist, etc., you got to understand that puts you in a position of potential pain. And you're going to have to take the hit. You make that decision, that less than wise decision, you might have to take the hit. And you've got to know that if you take that stand, you willingly, you willingly take that hit. So, when we say that there is a disposition, we say that she has a freeing disposition towards these following things. Instead of just trying to say, ladies, that you must, as a mature woman, do this, 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 and this. One of the reasons we can't say that is because there are thousands of things, thousands, hundreds of thousands of different, differing activities and differing relationships and contexts for those activities. So we, there's no hope for us just to say, if you want to be a woman of God, you do this, 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 and this. But what we can say from Scripture is that you have this attitude among you. You have a disposition towards some things. And that will set you up for success when it comes to the activity. You carry an attitude or a disposition towards mature femininity. Finally, let me say this about your disposition. Just as we said last week, there may be situations where in your womanhood you are forced to pick up some roles that are not primarily yours. Okay? In mature femininity, you may find in your differing relationships with the opposite sex that you may be forced due to a lack 
of mature masculinity or manhood, you may be forced and put to, into a position where a mature, godly woman has to take up some of the roles that are not primarily hers. But to say that you have a disposition, a bent towards mature femininity, communicates also that you can pick up those roles. Frankly, you can do them very well, but there ought to be in you. There ought to be this bent in you that understands, according to God's divinely inspired design for manhood and womanhood, it would be best if the appropriate differing males, in whatever the context or situation, picked up their primary responsibility and allowed you to do your primary responsibility fully and completely. So when we say there's a disposition, it it means all that. It means all that. That even if you have to take up some of the manhood responsibilities, you have this disposition in you that longs in a marriage relationship that your husband reach a higher level of maturity in, in his manhood so that He can do what God has called him to do, and you can give your attention to what God has called you to do primarily. Remember, this isn't about what we're able to do, what we're capable of doing. It's what God has said, you do this, you do this. It works best together like this. It's the idea of what we're going to call later in coming messages, complementarianism. Not that we complement I, each other, but that we complement E. That we... We fulfill our roles, and it all comes together beautifully. It's not just a disposition or an attitude. It's a freeing disposition. Here's what we mean by that. It is freeing because it's not by force or compulsion, right? It's not by force or compulsion. When we parallel the relationship of the bride and the groom with Christ and the church, there's nothing about the relationship between the church and the bride that is by force, The only compulsion is a compulsion of love. Amen? We're drawn with with strings or cords of, of love. So there's nothing about this disposition, ladies, that we're trying to say to you is by force or or strict compulsion. You must do this. That's not the attitude we're longing for. We're looking for in mature femininity this freeing disposition. That you are willingly giving yourself to this type of attitude. Not only that, we also mean by freeing to say that because what God has intended for us is best and most fulfilling to us, as you find yourself lining up with God's design for femininity or womanhood, you start to realize that you are most free. You are most satisfied and you are most fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? I mean, doesn't God just have it all worked out? That that our perfect creator actually designed it so that it works best for us. We are most fulfilled. We are most satisfied. We are most free when we fulfill God's intended, divinely inspired design for manhood and womanhood. John 8, 32, Jesus says, the truth will set us free. And I think, I think that principle holds here. I don't think it's a stretch to apply that here. That as you live in the truth of what God has called you to, ladies, as you discover what is true about femininity and you live it out, 
I think it I think it appropriate to apply the words of Jesus in John 8 that that freedom sets that truth sets us free as we live and act out and play out our roles in truth. According to God's design, we experience freedom, contentment, satisfaction. Now, ladies, let me say this. And this this comes from the depths of my heart. Um, Do not be fooled into believing That your worth is based on your success in this world's eyes. You know, that's the number one prayer for my children. Anytime we do a a baby dedication, that is my my number one prayer for any baby dedications we do. When both of my sons turned two and we had their birthday parties, I held both of them and I prayed the same prayer. God, do not do not. Allow them to have this burden to be successful in the eyes of this world. Give them a burden to be successful in your eyes. Give them a desire, a compulsion, a disposition to long to be successful, not in the world's eyes, but in your eyes. Ladies, there is there is a burden that you carry um, sometimes unknowingly and always unfortunate when you try to fulfill what the world says is your role. Okay. Instead of fulfilling what God says, your divinely inspired and intended role is. Listen, there is no career, no job, no ambition alone. None of that by itself can ever measure up to the satisfaction, contentment and fulfillment and the freedom, ladies, that you will find when you give yourself fully to what God has called you to in your womanhood. This whole series started back in Mother's Day. We did a message in Proverbs 31. Turn there real quick. I want to show you. I want to show you Proverbs 31 and where this whole thing came from. Psalms, Proverbs. You know the passage well. Let me just read some of it. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like a a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it for from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household is well taken care of. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies them to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue and so on and so on and so on. There's one phrase that stuck out to me when I was originally studying Proverbs 31. And ladies, I think you need it. I think you need it. I think you need it badly. Verse 18. In the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of all this stuff, you know what we find? We find a disposition. We find an attitude. And when I read it, I I longed 
for my wife to grasp this. Because it is freeing that as this model woman in Proverbs 31 is fulfilling her primary responsibilities in womanhood, and as it's playing out in the life of her home with her husband, with her children, etc., it's playing out in magnificent ways. Look at the attitude, verse 18. She senses that her gain is good. Our world would have a godly woman who is, who is giving her primary, her primary attention, her primary efforts, passions, etc., towards fulfilling what God says is success in femininity. Our world would mock her and say that she is not a success. Listen, ladies, this is the, this is the attitude that as we're fulfilling, as we are grasping this disposition, it is freeing in the sense that you should look around as you are playing out what God has intended for you in your womanhood. You should sit back and say, this is right and it is good. You should have a sense of that. But the world will try and steal that. Convince you that you should have this, uh, this life that is not the picture that the Bible would paint for you in your womanhood. It is something completely different. We'll talk more about that later. It is a freeing disposition. Let me also say right here, there is a general tendency in all of humanity to feel that freedom is really the shedding of all authority or responsibility. Isn't that right? In our humanity, we tend to think that true freedom is the putting off, the shedding of any sort of authority above us, beside us, around us, to put that off, to shed it, any sort of responsibility that is put upon us, well, that holds us back. Our world would have you believe, ladies, that as you fulfill your responsibilities, as you submit to Christ as your authority, and in appropriate ways, with men of worthy character, you fulfill your role of complementing mature manhood, well, they would say that that is just suppressing. It restricts you. It minimizes. And I would say that that is, that is not the case. That's not the picture of biblical womanhood that Scripture paints. It is very different. It is very different. Keep going. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition. Now here we get to the activity. To do some things. We're going to sum this up as we focus mostly on the attitude or the disposition in three words. Pretty easy. Pretty simple and straightforward. But here is the disposition as it fleshes itself out. Three things. Number one, to affirm. To affirm. Uh, I cannot tell you what a blessing it is to run into a mature, godly woman who actually, when she speaks, affirms mature manhood and masculinity. She has a correct understanding of that. She not only understands it, but she affirms that biblical view. And she affirms not just a biblical mature manhood view, but she affirms a biblical mature womanhood view. That is such as so refreshing. Part of the disposition of mature womanhood is that, ladies, number one, you 
You affirm what Scripture says is right and best. Now, if you correctly understand what Scripture says is right and best, you don't have a problem doing that because you understand it is not suppressing, it is not minimizing to womanhood. Not only that, mature femininity, there should be a freeing disposition to receive. To receive. All three of these words, we've got to jump down a little bit further. They're all three directly connected to what we say at the end of the vision. To affirm, receive, and nurture what? It's something specific. It's not just anything. It's strength and leadership from worthy men. What that means to signal is, we're not asking you to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from any geek off the street, ladies. That's good news. Your mature femininity plays out with the opposite sex corresponding to the maturity of their masculinity. And you wisely play it out appropriately. So we say that there is to be an affirmation, a reception, and a nurturing, not just of any male out there, but the strength and leadership from worthy men. So, ladies, you affirm it. You have a freeing disposition, a bent in you, an attitude in you to affirm our biblical view of manhood. Not only that, you receive it. It's not just enough to say, yeah, that's good, that's right. There must be an action taken on your part that you allow manhood and womanhood and its complementarianism, its, its dance to play out in your life. It's not enough just to, to affirm it if you're not willing to receive it. Not just that, it takes it a step further here. Uh, at the heart of mature femininity, there is a freeing disposition to nurture strength and leadership from worthy men. What does this mean? This means you have, uh, in some sense, a motherly role to play as this dance between manhood and womanhood plays out. Whether it's in the marriage relationship, in any of your differing relationships with manhood, ladies, you have a mothering disposition that you are nurturing and helping along manhood to reach maturity in strength and leadership. See, you have a role to play. Genesis, you remember, said 2.18, that as you are designed to be a helper suitable for him, that is an important role that you, you undergird manhood. You complement it and you supplement it and you, you nurture it. You not only say that what God says as far as our design in manhood and womanhood is right, and you not only receive, but you have a disposition in you that longs to see proper, healthy manhood and womanhood as it comes together and acts out in many different ways, even outside of marriage, you have this desire in you that longs to nurture for one reason, because it is, it is most satisfying when it happens. To steal John Piper's phrase, when we're most satisfied, he is most glorified. When these things play out, when these things play out, 
we become most satisfied, both male and female. Ladies, you play an important role in nurturing this, this ballet between manhood and womanhood. When we say in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships, we said this last week as well according uh, in relation to our manhood vision. It simply means that we did not say worthy husbands. Did you notice that in our vision here, ladies? It does not say strength and leadership from worthy husbands alone. We intentionally say worthy men because if our bent, if our disposition goes down into our core, and it's not just how it plays out in husband-wife relationships, if it's, if it's the way God has designed you as a woman, separate than a, than a man, designs you as a woman, apart from a relationship with a man, it will play out in relationships other than a husband-wife relationship. Okay? So it plays out in your relationship, ladies, to the male police officer, to your male boss, to uh, your husband, to your brother, to your son, to your male neighbor, to whatever relationship you can think of. There are ways that mature femininity and your disposition towards it in that you long to affirm, receive and nurture strength and leadership. It plays out differently depending on what male we're talking about, but it can and it must play out in all those relationships. You see, you're not free not to be feminine outside of your home. God has wired that in who you are and you take it when you get up in the morning and you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, when you stop at the, at the dry cleaner, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, at the park with your kids, whatever it is, you carry that with you. And it plays out in appropriate ways with the opposite sex. So, um, let me ask you, how you doing right here? We finished up manhood and womanhood, our visions. How you doing, guys? How, how you doing, ladies? Um, do we need this? Can I tell you, my wife and I need this, okay? Our marriages need this overall. Our society needs this. You better believe it. Does the next generation need some sort of direction, not just ambiguity? You better believe it. Are we equal in value and worth? Sure are. Are we the same? No way. No way. Is that a bad thing? Not in the least. Not in the least. So is he the boss? That doesn't seem to be the uh, attitude of Scripture. That he gets to be the, the boss. Is she a second class citizen? Not in the least. Does he have a role to play in this ballet? He sure does. Does she have a role to play in this ballet? She sure does. What happens when each, when each of us, the male and female part, play their proper role? Well, we get, we get a beautiful thing. We get a beautiful thing. It's interesting as you watch all these dance shows. See all these dance shows? So you think you can dance, Dancing with the Stars. All these, it's like a dance craze out there now. Uh, I have a theology of dance. I'll not share that with you right now. But um, one thing I noticed, uh, you know, one thing I noticed, I'm always impressed. I mean, there's some people out there that can flat dance. But, and maybe this, maybe this resounds with you. 
it's always more impressive to watch two people dance interactively than it is to watch one guy or one lady dance. You ever notice that? You know, if somebody's dancing by themselves, they can flub it up, they can mess it up, they can trip up, they can do the a wrong thing out of order, and you don't really even know. I mean, you don't know. There's really, the choreography is only based on them, and they can do whatever next. And they can just dance as they go. If they skip something, you don't know. But if, if, you, get a, if you get a corresponding or a complementing partner, and you miss a beat, you miss a step, then you hit a toe, right? I'm always more impressed, aren't you? When you see two coming together and they dance and they don't miss a step or a beat. The hands where it's supposed to be, the feet are where they're supposed to be. They're leaning in just the right angle. That's always more beautiful. I think that's, I think that's the picture we ought to have when it comes to manhood and womanhood. Even outside of marriage, interacting, it is this dance that we play the part God has designed us to play. And if we, if we hit every step, it's beautiful. It's interesting to me, maybe you've noticed this, that in all other genres except for sexuality, in all other genres except for sexuality, the liberal cries out for us to embrace differences. Have you thought about this through this series? When it comes to race, nationality, economic ability, and even religion, Right? Even religion. Our world would say to us, accept all the differences. Embrace all the differences. Celebrate our differences. Right? Isn't this the, isn't this the cry of, of humanity in our liberalism? This is the whole idea, Preston, behind the uh, rainbow as a symbol for alternative lifestyles. Right? That the rainbow displays differing colors but when all together it's a beautiful thing right that's the rainbow that's that's why it's the choice symbol of differing divergent choice lifestyles we can all be different and all still get along and it's all beautiful when the fact is when you get to sexuality What would they have us do? Embrace differences? Celebrate differences? No. Erase the differences. Isn't that that odd? Isn't that interesting? In every other way, we can all be different and all work together and get along and it'd be a beautiful thing. It's a rainbow of differences. Except when you get to manhood and womanhood. And we erase it all. We erase it all. Um, why is that? I think because there's some bad assumptions, hermeneutics, bad interpretations that lead to some bad theology. Our view of what biblical manhood and womanhood is, is severely damaged and skewed. It's off in the world's eyes. There's some sad and Unfortunate misunderstandings of what biblical manhood and womanhood should be. What we ought to do as believers is this. Reject the sinful distortions that have a root in the fall, not in creation, 
but reject the sinful distortions of manhood and womanhood and embrace that which was distorted. God's originally intended design for men and women to play out their part in beautiful harmony. God's unique design for men and women. Amen? Yeah. We're going to keep going in this. You come back and we're going to end up in the New Testament beginning next week. Would you pray with me?